It's Dr. Stu's podcast at drstuespodcast.com. I'm Brian Whitman with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Thanks for joining us. You can listen on iTunes, of course. Subscribe to the feed on iTunes for Dr. Stu's podcast. Or listen right here on the website at drstuespodcast.com. Share it on your Facebook page. Tweet it out. Give him a bunch of stars, five stars you can give Randy on uh, iTunes and write a nice review and share this show with your friends. That's one of the cooler things about this podcast compared to some others that I've been involved with over the years. This is one where there really is a sense of community and folks really are sharing it a lot. So we talk about home birthing and Dr. Stu shares his uh, sort of anti-establishment take on medicine and obstetrics and gynecology. Well, and- I have a feeling that anybody listening out there, you know anybody who's pregnant, you've got a podcast to talk about. Like you got to hear out what this guy's talking about. Absolutely. How many births? And, and I, I I know you've got a bone to pick with me. Yes, I have a bone to pick with you. But first, I wanted to wish you a belated happy birthday. Oh, aren't you nice? Right. What did, you. what did you end up doing for your birthday? You Brian? know what, Dr. Stu? I had pizza with him and his mom. Yeah. H- him being Randy for those people in the, not in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I took him out for pizza with my mom. It was fantastic. Had a great time. Yeah. And then I saw some friends later in the day. I was going to go to a movie I did not. And um, I was with my dogs. I had a very low-key birthday because I'm 41. What did you tell me? Two score in one year? Two score in one year. Right. Now, when I, when I was two score, it was a big deal. I had a big party for two score. 40 is a big deal. 41, it's like, you know, we're sitting in the apartment. But we discussed this. It's your birthday. You can do whatever you want to do. Who wouldn't want to take a nap on their birthday? That's what I did. It's the best. Well, yeah, once you're over 40, naps are a big deal. <laughs> but you okay. know, one of the sad yeah. things that very quickly, I was looking at the calendar like for the mm-hmm. rest of my life, because I'm a planner. <laughs> you know, so you I'm buy looking, calendars in advance? Right. I was looking like 20 years ago, because I really want to plan stuff out. And I think I don't have, my birthday was a Saturday, and my 40th birthday was a Friday. I don't think I have a birthday that's going to fall on a weekend day until I'm like 60 friggin' five. You've looked this up? Yeah, I got time. Is that well, OCD? Well, it's easy now because you just uh, fast forward your Google calendar. And Yahoo calendar. <laughs> right, right. I, but but uh, well, I, don't, what, I, I don't think that's possible, Brian. I think you got to have a weekend birthday about every six or I seven years. I think there's some leap years. I mean, look, you're the doctor. I don't want to argue. I don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty good at math, and uh, that would that would be surprising. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you, I was under. But I am the doctor, and here's my bone that I have to pick with you. By are the we going to throw down? You we are going to throw down right now All because right. you know what? I was listening. Oh to 870 KRLA this morning. The morning answer. And you were on with substitute host Jeremy today. Yep, Jeremy was on there. And Jeremy said he actually agreed with you. That's fine. It something. It, it was happened. during the last 15 minutes of the show. Sure. And he said, I actually agree with you, Brian. And you started to give him a remedy for the fact that he was agreeing with you. Right. That's, now, that's, that's practicing medicine, Brian, without a license. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm, I hope that no one was listening today that was, works for the, uh, the Medical Board of California because that could be a problem. Well, when somebody says to me on the radio, we talk about politics, they say, Brian, I agree with you. I say, okay. I try to calm them down immediately because, you know, we want to make it a stress. I say, all right, first relax. I know this is alarming. I know it's probably frightening to you and those who love you. I said, you probably have a creepy feeling, sort of like maybe you don't have a rash, but you feel like you do. You're itching, you're scratching. It's odd. I said, well, you just need to relax. I said, within about three hours, that feeling will go away. Tonight, take a very long bath and loofah. Yes, you to, to get remove rid of all that skin, right? Correct. Get it all off of you. And I think I said by tomorrow morning you should be back to normal. That's what you said. But did I have bedside manner? You think I could you, be? You you actually did. You were very respectful. Uh, your advice is actually correct. Okay. But but uh, you still. So I just want you to know that, that now he's agreeing with you. We have a, we have a weird situation going on in, in America right now where where uh, I don't even know how common sense is out the window. I mean, there's a story 
recently about a uh, guy who's licensed to practice uh, therapy in South Carolina who writes a column about advice and some psychiatrists or psychologists, excuse me, in Kentucky did not like what he had to write. They went to the attorney general. The attorney general slapped a cease and desist order on him so that because he's not licensed to practice therapy in Kentucky, he can no longer publish his dumb column, his little column, yeah, his Wait. advice column. Right. He can't publish it anymore. Was dear in Abby? Kentucky. A, was dear to dear Abby? Dear Abby, Abby Doctor Drew, uh, Doctor Phil. What I mean, what are they going to? Well, these guys are too probably too big for them to go after. But it, it, it's ludicrous. Did you know that, that according? No do you know that according to the laws of California, that when your mother takes the temperature of your sibling? That that is technically speaking, practicing medicine without a license. Oh, she's breaking the law. She's breaking the law. Grand old grandma is breaking the law when she gives you some chicken soup. Is it contraband to own a thermometer nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> no. Can you even have a I, first aid kit in your house? I know that it will never be enforced, but this is this is the, how the micromanaging of our lives has gotten. When, when the I point cut my where, finger last week and I put a band aid on it, uh, am I going to go to no, jail now? No, no. You can treat yourself. Okay. Just like a woman in states where midwifery or home birthing is difficult or illegal, uh, a woman can give birth by herself. Yeah. But if a licensed practitioner who knows what they're doing assists them, that's a felony. Dr. Stu, can I ask you a question? Because uh, you are the doctor and I'm not. And there are countries You're like that too, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor, okay, Brian? Go ahead, Brian. Okay. I'm sorry. I got off track. No. I was just I was thinking about that all day today. Well, you said something that... that, that uh, sparked a thought you talked about moms taking temperatures yes and i need to ask you a question if the standard has changed because i'm 41 two score in one year if we get in the wayback machine we go back say 35 36 years i'm five years old it's 1977 is mr peabody there with you <laughs> and you know my See, mom I'm, I'm so far back i actually remember that sherman and mr peabody yeah, no right? I, I know the reference my mom is not here to defend herself but I do want to say that when I was about five years old, I remember on Staten Island, if I was sick and she took my temperature. Uh, don't even, I don't even want to know where you're going with this. Why would she do that? Why there? Why wouldn't she just put the thermometer in my mouth? Why did she do that? Tell me why she did that to me. Did your mom like you? <laughs> yes, we had a wonderful relationship. You know, I don't, I, I have no idea in why, 70s, at, that, why at that age five. Maybe I mean, four. you do that. You do that with your dog or your cat, but I'm not sure why you do it with your five year old. <laughs> but that was a way back because now they got okay. now they got the temporal artery thermometers, or they got the little things you stick under your tongue, and they right. and they go off in a second. So, so can you help me? Uh, want, I mean, was that no? This? I have no idea. I mean, yes, it was something that was uh, recommended as a as an option. Was it kind I, of uh, typical? Or was well, my mom? how would I know? I was only what you were forty when you were five. You're a doctor. What was I? I was twenty. You know, okay, well, you would know in the 70s. When I they, was in a college stupor. I don't remember anything. Okay, from, like, from the 70s. But when they took kids' temperatures, Randy, when you were a kid. Ear. Ear? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have ears when we were No, like, no, we no, the, the, the thermometer. No, the ear thermometer. Yeah. Yeah, that, just shove it in there. And then, and then I would will myself to just think that if I thought hard enough that I was feeling sick, I could raise that blood temperature up to 98.8 so I could tell my mom, I can't go to well, school. Just yeah, yeah, you you, yeah, you could have pulled... I was just going to say, you could have pulled a Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Like, just what I was going to say. Brian, I'm hanging around with you too much. Uh, we well, you know, they say... By the way, this is my favorite thing to do on Tuesdays. 
I just love coming over to Randy's house and doing my podcast. Oh, well, you're great. I mean, we yeah, have a great time it's, with it's this. It's a therapy session for me. I mean, oh, yeah. it uh, is probably uh, a better therapy session than than going to see a, a shrink who's going to say, "Wow, so tell me more about that. How does that make you feel? Yeah, Stuart. Um, uh, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. How are you? <laughs> I love the how are you that is so phony and so over the top. <laughs> yeah. Is the therapist Kenny Kingston? How are you? You really? know what? No, really. Uh, no, really. How are you? How are you? Yeah. One time, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I went to see a psychiatrist. And no. Yes. Really? And I was seeing him for probably... Eh. Just one time you went? No. No. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but one, I went to one for years. Oh, okay. And one day I go there and he says, yeah, he said, Brian, um... Robert's going to come out and talk to you. Robert's not the psychiatrist. He's like the gay guy who runs the office, basically. I don't know if that's on his business card, but, you know, that's how I, right. you know, that would be how I would describe it. I him. would hope that that's not on his business right. card. Right, but, you know, just thinking out loud. Although now it would be easier for him to get hired if that was, oh, yeah. that was right. on his business card. You should card. put it on your business card. Yeah. So he comes Gay out, guy in the front office. And he's the psychiatrist, and I get therapy there, and the psychiatrist says, Brian, um, we're the, the, the doctor wants to uh, end... Uh, the treatment uh, the you know he doesn't want the therapist doesn't want to see you anymore i said what and then robert the gay guy goes like this i know i know the ending of any relationship is a difficult thing i put my hand up i said robert stop it i don't want to hear that nonsense i said don't give me the psycho babble the doctor you know the doctor's dumping me the therapist is dumping me i don't want to brian no it's hard the end of any i said goodbye goodbye and out the door your therapist broke up with you yes You've been dumped by a therapist. Correct. They said, sorry, I'm a professional. I went to school for 10 years for this. I can't handle you. I don't know if it was because I was yeah. too. What was this, what's the deal? Did you ever find out what the deal was? No, I was so furious and embarrassed that I just left. You're too crazy for a therapist. Uh, that's what I, I thought. I don't know. That's uh, that's odd. Maybe he was changing his specialty into something Well, else, maybe or... he should have said that. Right. Instead of sending out the smiling yeah, assassin, Robert the gay dude in the uh, you know in 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 the uh, in the real tight pants and the nice uh, very starched shirt. He can't even tell you himself. You right, know, the doctor didn't even come out, and the therapist didn't even come out. And then when he said to me, he said, the ending of any relationship. I said, what, the ending of the relationship with my therapist? I said, nuts. I said, this is nuts. I put my hands in the air. I said, stop. I don't want to have with you the psychobabble talk anymore. Goodbye. You know what your therapist should have done? Should have gone to couples therapy. <laughs> hey, well, I, you know what? This is interesting. This could bring up an interesting topic. Sure. But, because, because what happens when you're seeing a physician, okay, and... Suddenly, you're finding that the physician and you are not getting along anymore or that you're hearing things that you don't necessarily want to hear, especially from my point of view where you're starting to get the fear-based stuff or the what we call the bait and switch where everybody in the early pregnancy, they're all gung-ho for natural birthing and VBAC or anything else you want to do. No IVs, no epidurals, fine, fine, fine with me. You can eat. You can have 16 people in the room, blah, blah, blah. And then as the pregnancy progresses, things suddenly begin to change and suddenly your baby's looking a little small and your and your fluid looking a little low and uh, you know your blood pressure's a little high and all these things and they start to bring in all these things. How do, how do you separate from that physician? And I've encountered this a lot with people who come to me or come through the sanctuary or other midwives and they want to know, do I need to tell my doctor that I'm changing? Mm. And my answer to them is, you should do what makes you feel most comfortable. Mm. You can sign a release of records form here and never speak to that man or, or woman again. Or you can probably do what is more genuine 
and probably will resolve some issues you might have down the road if your paths were to ever cross again and have a conversation with them as nice normal as nice people as it would could do. be as nice as it could right be. and just say you know i'm looking i'm going in a different direction i think you're a great person i've enjoyed being with you but i'm going to go in this direction thank you very much for the service you've provided me uh, have a nice day. And I would assume, you know, when we talk about with Dr. Stu here, we talk about home birthing, which, of course, uh, you know, in the last show we did, you sort of compared it, or at least uh, I, I talked about a friend who said, you know, you lose friends over it because they had their baby at home. And you said, well, it's sort of like politics sometimes. You know, it's a, it's a dicey issue. It's sort of kind of it's a third rail issue. Some people are even afraid to talk about it, home birthing. It's because- Yeah, so it's like abortion. It's an abortion. I mean, it's really politicizing. It really gets people... Heated one way or the other. So I would imagine when you're dealing with issues of birth and home birthing and these types of calls and, and a lady's getting a call from her mom, oh my gosh, you have that kid at the hospital. I would assume sometimes in your particular field, Dr. Stu, there might be that time when, when a pregnant lady might actually part company with her doctor because the doctor is for, uh, maybe putting undue pressure on, on the person to have the baby at the hospital or undue pressure to have the baby at home or either way, right? Yeah, I mean... Nobody can please everybody all the time. It's, it's not possible. And I can remember from my own specific example, I had a woman one time who was reading too many books, making herself too paranoid, too nervous. She would come in every visit and we would spend all this time trying to undo some of the damage she did by, to herself. And by, she's on the internet reading. By, and, yeah, yeah, the internet, reading books, talking to people, coming in with a lot of fears. And I just told her, and I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to be disrespectful, but I could understand in hindsight how it might have come off. I said, I think you're reading too much. Mm. I think you need to ease up on the reading. And she got mad at me and she left my practice because she felt this was her body and she had the right to know all these things and blah, blah. And if she wanted to make herself crazy, that was her right to do so. Well, you know, one of the things... And I didn't know how to cope with that. And I, and I didn't do a very good job with that. I would probably do it differently now, but that happens. It would I like what you said there. You, she wants to make herself crazy. You, I mean, I'm sure you know from being a professional in the last 10 years, there are people in the middle of the night making themselves crazy every night by researching stuff on the Internet. Well, this going is... on WebMD and looking at all this stuff that they don't actually know anything about, but they read the headline, they read something that looks scary, and then they take that for the fact. Well, there's an, there was an article just recently in the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, or it might have been, the, I think it was the Washington Post, and they talked about uh, uh, all, all the fears. I think the title of the article was something like uh, Pregnancy Paranoia. And one of the things they talked about was that the woman went for a routine ultrasound at 20 weeks and the baby's head was in the fifth percentile. Okay, well, the fifth percentile is still normal. What does the fifth percentile mean? It means, it means that 95% of babies' heads at that gestational age would be bigger than that baby's head. I see. Okay? And, but normal is considered anywhere from the third to the 97th percentile. Some people have to, you know, by definition, if you just follow basic population uh, studies some people have to be in the fifth percentile some people have big heads some people have little heads. that's correct so anyway so they they got all nervous they went home that night and immediately were on google and on the internet looking for uh <laughs> things about small-headed babies and something called microcephaly and all the things that that could mean and anyway to make a long story short when the baby was born the baby's head was still in about the fifth percentile and the mom took the baby to the pediatrician and the pediatrician took out charts on adults measured the mom's head and guess what the mom's head was in the fifth percentile. Mm. Okay? So this was a genetically normal baby for her, but yet she was frightened beyond belief because they had an ultrasound and she was in the fifth percentile and no one bothered to really explain to her because nobody wanted to go out on a limb and say, you know, this is normal. 
because no one wanted to be wrong. You no. know, Doctor Stu, one of the one of the th- I, I told you I have friends and they had a home birth. They had a baby girl, and it wasn't long ago. And I and I saw uh, my buddy was talking about how his wife's doing and and their daughter. And one of the th- he didn't say it, but something I sort of came away from my conversation with him about. And uh, you and I have never I don't think I've ever put this question to you here on the podcast. But when we talk about home birthing, is one of sort of the foundational building blocks or sort of one of the cornerstone thoughts or beliefs behind home birthing an anti-drug feeling an anti-medication feeling because my friend when he was talking about the baby that they had at home he he made a point of explaining to me that that there were you know that, that there was very little medication used and then he made a comment sort of which I didn't I didn't follow up on he's my friend I could have I just didn't he said something like well you know any drug you, you give to mom the baby's getting some of that and I came away and I thought I have to ask Dr. Stu if a lot of the people who choose home birth are people who are sort of against medication or against drugs in the sense of medicine well I think a lot of people that choose home birth choose that path because they know that they're not going to be in a situation where things are thrust upon them. In other words, when you're in the hospital birthing situation and you're laying there and there are people around you like nurses and medical students, residents, your doctor, and you're uncomfortable and you're in pain, okay? And there is a difference, by the way, between pain and suffering. You're not necessarily suffering, but you're in pain. It's very difficult to watch. So there's sort of a constant, do you want something for pain? Do you want something now for pain? Are you asking me? Yes, I do. We really yeah. would. Right. Well, I'm saying if people keep asking right. you enough about it, right. it starts to be pervasive and you eventually you, you give in and you've got medications like fentanyl or Stadol, uh, Dem- well, uh, Demerol, or you've got things like an epidural that you can get and, and they're, they're pervasive. And if you look at the rates of epidurals in C-sections that have in-house anesthesia, I mean in hospitals that have in-house anesthesia, you're going, that was a Freudian thing, by the way, I just did. That's okay. Right, I went right to C-section. But, <laughs> if, you, but if you're looking at in hospitals that have in-house anesthesiologists, the, the epidural rates are 80, 85%. I mean, it's a crazy number of but, people that do that. But so, what's wrong with it? I mean, to do it, what's wrong well, with it? Boy, that's, no, oh, there's a can of worms. Oh, okay, well, that's that, what it was, Stu's can of worms. Stu's yeah. can of worms, that's See, eventually right. you were going to oh, find it. Oh, my God. Yeah, eventually credit, you go back absolutely. in the head, you look back, and it's right he there. Boom. It. Stu's Dr. can of worms. Stu's, Stu's can, can of worms. worms. There it is. We've opened up one of Dr. Stu's can of worms. A moment ago, he said, well, the epidural rates are high. So I'm sitting over here going, what's wrong with it? If I was having a baby, my God, I'd want one. Well, this, uh, let me just explain a little bit. Yeah, if you were having a baby, you would want one. Okay, because again, if you only think of pain as being detrimental in labor, then why would you have pain? But the problem with an epidural does is several is several fold. And God, they're a godsend when they're necessary. Believe me, spinal anesthesia, anesthesiologists do great work. And so this is not a personal attack on any given anesthesiologist or the field of anesthesia. But it is, it is a, a thought about how birth is supposed to go. And there is a value to, to pain in labor. And, I'll, and it goes like this. When you're uncomfortable in labor, first of all, you're putting out hormones. And we may have talked about this on a previous podcast. You're putting out things like adrenaline and endorphins and enkephalins. And those things are crossing the placenta and possibly helping the baby deal with the stresses that the baby is experiencing during the labor process. When you're laying flat on your back or on your side in a hospital bed, completely numb from the belly button on down, you're not helping your baby. You're not moving. You're not helping your baby down the pelvis. You're not helping your baby deal with the stress and pain and those sorts of things. So yeah, you're pain. You're having no pain. But you know what? Your baby. When people, when mammals are in labor, especially when women are in labor, 
the movement that they do, the, the things that they, the change of positions, those things are beneficial to help babies turn and twist and come down the pelvis in the right way so that their heads come out in an easier fashion. Yeah. And, and so, yes, you can take away the pain, but it isn't normal. It, it, it does interfere, and women need to understand that it isn't that simple as just pain or no pain. So was I right when I asked my question that sort of one of the cornerstone thoughts about home birthing is to do it without drugs, do it without uh, medication. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is a motivating factor for many people, but it's also, I, I think that that the fear of interventions, the, the, the concerns about the high C-section rates in hospitals, uh, for the educated woman who understands that a C-section rate of 33% just doesn't make any sense, and it's pervasive because just about every hospital has a C-section rate between you know, 28 to 40%, Ooh. and that's just a really high number, and they, they don't want that. And if they want a big family or if they want to experience what it's like, or they, for whether it's for personal reasons or metaphysical reasons or just uh, you know, somebody who, you know, why do people run marathons? Because... They want to challenge themselves. They want to feel that they've done something and accomplished something. You're much more likely to be able to have that feeling at home. And it may be not just the medication thing, but it's also the thing that you can eat and you can walk around and you can get in water. And so there's lots of reasons. But medication, I'm sure, is a mo the, the, the desire not to be surrounded by the option of medication is probably a strong desire for many women. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. That was one of the impressions I had when uh, when my friend talked to me about it. Now you had and remember, you can always stop at a home birth, get in your car, and go to the hospital and yeah. get and get your pain medicine. Right? Once you have the pain medicine, you can't go back. That's a very good point. All right. So you can try this without the medicine and without all those mm -hmm. temptations around you. And then if it's not working for you, you you, you can still go to the hospital just like any woman who was planning to go to the hospital mm -hmm. would do, and get your epidural if that's what you want to do. I, I and really, I've taken patients to the hospital. I've transported women to the hospital. And and in those particular cases, epidural and sometimes Pitocin have been a godsend, and they've still been able to deliver their babies vaginally. They just needed, they were exhausted or in, in having too much pain, or they were too mm -hmm. tense, and they just needed something to help them get over that hump. And the epidural was a godsend. Totally. I like what you said before, though, about how they might need the pain, how it helped them adjust, help them figure out, you know, because a woman's in tune to her body. If she can feel what's going on, she could probably help fidget and get that way around so the baby does come out easier, comes out smoother. If you have nothing going on, you have no idea what's going on because you're epiduraled up, that's got to make it a lot more stressful for everybody. Yeah, if the baby's coming down with its head twisted or, or cocked to one side... Um, and you're numb, you don't know that. But when you are you can feel everything, you can feel, boy, there's a lot of pressure on that right little hip down there. And I'm going to I'm gonna shift my body so that I take pressure off of that. And you're probably helping that baby to turn its little head. To navigate. To navigate uh, down through the bony pelvis so that it can come out easier. But if you're on an epidural, you can't even move. Well, you're not, you know, they, they, you're not even really allowed to move because I think they're worried that you're going to fall down. They do have something called a walking epidural, and certain hospitals do do that, mm -hmm. where they give you a light thing, but they never really let you go too far walking, and you really can't be on all fours. You can't sit down in the shower or squat or anything. Because it an numbs epidural. you, right? It doesn't make you loopy. It numbs you, right? It's Yeah, it's not systemically absorbed. Well, a tiny bit is, but it, it's it's a local anesthesia. It's like when they go to the dentist, they mm -hmm. numb up your one tooth. 
and your whole you know main one part of your jaw oh, might be it's numb, the worst, but man. you're not your your brain is still functioning perfectly fine. You know what I like to do after leaving the dentist and and half of my mouth isn't working. What I like to do is order up ice cream sundays, <laughs> and, I, and, and I like to eat them you know with two or three people at the table and just have it sort of just kind of all over the. I sort of look like a 98 year old guy in a convalescent home, and I'm just sort of got cherries and whipped cream. You're a little stroked out. One side of your face yeah, is all stiff. Yeah, and I'm just kind of sort of enjoying myself. And then what happens is it's all over my shirt so later in the day i can just kind of keep enjoying that ice cream sundae because it's in my hair well you know brian i do i I do carry i do carry lidocaine in my car (laughs) oh so that at any time maybe maybe Stu could take you home you know after we're done tonight i can inject your mouth with some lidocaine and you can go off to the to have some ice cream if you want how do you think my radio program in the morning would sound if i was injected with lidocaine probably Uh, probably a bit like bill cosby with his famous little sketch yeah Doctor Stu does impressions. Doctor Stu does a Bill Cosby impression. Hey, that's pretty. You know what? That is a pretty good Bill Cosby impression. And if you're saying someone does a good impression. That's that's not just saying you know you're not just some radio guy you're a master impression. Well, I, I I'm a, to I'm, you to give a compliment to anybody. Yeah, I'm three things. I am uh, uh well, I'm two things really. I am a, a, the greatest living impressionist, oh. and I'm a national treasure as well. I'm I'm, I'm both of those. Well, 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 you well, said three you're, things. You're well, also well, modest. Well, I'm, 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 right, I'm, if you follow me on Twitter, I think it says uh, what radio host. It's real bad. It's real bad. Now don't say that. I think it says radio host, greatest living impressionist. And National Treasure. <laughs> if you go to at Brian Whitman on Twitter, <laughs> radio talk show host, r- greatest living impressionist, National Treasure. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, no, okay. Hey, Doctor Stu, you know me. You, you know, know that's tongue in cheek, right? You know I don't it, really uh, believe it. Of, 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 absolutely, it is. Tongue, you know, I know okay, I'm going to be. I'm going to be the honest broker here. Yes, it is absolutely tongue in cheek. Brian is a humble, quiet, soft-spoken guy who is an professional an expert and a professional at what he does and that sort of thing is is funny it's funny because that's what i'm the, trying to a lot of correct. humor is like taking something that that isn't and that's, making it well, and making yeah. it dr Stu, my friend tom dreesen is a stand-up comic one of the greatest of all time toured with frank sinatra for 13 years he said there's one rule in comedy and you know what it is be funny and if that made you laugh, well, then that made you laugh. <laughs> Looking at your page and saying national treasure, that does make me laugh. Yeah, national yes. treasure. However, the term greatest living impressionist. Greatest living impressionist. Could, it, it could is an not homage. be truer. Oh, aren't you kind to say that? See, could I think I think not be truer. I don't know that I'm the. I think the greatest living impressionist is a is a stretch. I do believe I'm a national treasure. Who's better? I, I can't think of anybody who's name better. a guy who even comes close. I don't. I can't. Ima- I can't even think of one. Exactly. I can't even can, think can of you one. Do, can you do any female impressions? I, I don't really do female impressions. Oh, okay. No. But that Bill Cosby. Michael's kind of a female. Well, the Michael Jackson. That's horrifying. That's hurtful. Did he have his kids at home? That's a guy who's, who, who you'd think might have, that Debbie Rowe might well, have had He didn't kids. have his kids at home, but the third kid, I remember he saying he took the kid out of the hospital and he had them bring the placenta with him. Oh, well, Michael ate the placenta. I'm oh. not sure. I think he might have had uh, one or two of his kids. Debbie Rowe might have at been home. At home. At home. He, he might have. Uh, uh, I know the, a friend of mine was uh, Debbie's physician. Okay. And, and I, but I don't know the details about that. Can you find out for us, Dr. Sue, if Michael ate the placenta himself? Michael, By the way, how many fathers eat the placenta very quickly? I, I would say... I mean, mom uh, eats the placenta. How many, zero. Zero dads eat the placenta. But Michael, how'd you like it? That was wonderful. I love the placenta. Did you have some milk with that? I, lo- I have some milk and cookies and children come over <laughs> and we have placenta. It's wonderful. 
He's such a crazy guy. I mean, it's sad, right? What's happened? Oh, it's terribly sad. sad. It's very sad. But I had Barry Gibbs kids come over, and I said, "It's wonderful. Let's go on the bumper cars, go on the merry-go-round." Are we off topic or Let's what? Climb the tree <laughs> and then have some placenta. Can we can we talk about? Oh, yeah. Can we talk about uh, <laughs> okay. the tragedy of, of uh, breach birth? You know what? Uh, Let's do it. Oh, can we do that for Let's, a second? Yeah, do that. Okay. I know that's what you wanted to talk about. I did want to talk about this. I sort of wanted to talk about it last hour, and and I, we didn't get enough time well, that's, for it. You know, we always there's a time. Look, this is the internet. We've got a lot of bandwidth. There's plenty of time and room and space. But Randy cuts us off. I know. My well, ears always perk up when you say breach birth because he's a breach, I'm a breach yes. birth. A breach. You are a breach birth. I have a feeling that uh, because I never actually came out of a vagina, that's damaging my effect on women. You know, we're going to deal with that on a future podcast. Oh. Doctors, Wait, you don't want to talk about that? Uh, it, that you, I don't have nine hours, dude, to talk about your problems with women. Dr. Stuke, may I ask you something? No, but but he, he does he does text women very well. Uh, he, and they didn't want to talk to him. Just no, he can't talk to them. Honest to God, we would need nine hours to talk, to solve. to even. What is even, wrong with that? You know I what? said it all like the phone. We wouldn't solve the problem in nine hours, maybe okay. we could bring a few of the questions to the surface. That's it. Right. Now, Dr. Well, Sh- maybe you'll learn something by listening to this discussion. Oh, and which right. you're very passionate. Okay. So anyway, here I am uh, about uh, 10 days before I go on vacation. I meet a lovely couple from San Diego who are 37 and a half weeks or so in their breach. And they have a, a doctor they, uh, they adore down in San Diego. They were planning to have a home birth. And when the baby was breached, they tried all kinds of tricks. Uh, they did not try an external version. They did not want to try that. But they tried a lot of tricks to try to turn the baby. didn't work. So the midwives introduced them to this doctor who they happened to like. But this doctor only does cesarean section for breach. And she was going to be for cesarean section. But she, since she already had planned to have a home birth, she did some research. The midwives down there had heard of me. They drove all the way up to San Diego. We had a nice interview. And they decided that they were going to have a home birth, breach birth with me. Fortunately, the husband's sister lived in Thousand Oaks, California, which is really close to where I live. So right. uh, it would have worked out perfect. They were going to move in there. Well, they did move in there, and they were going to stay there until they had the baby. The only hitch was is that I was going on vacation, and they knew that because I, you know, I'm honest. I told them that I was going on vacation. Normally, I don't take anybody for long term. Yeah, I you've know told us when, when the calendar doesn't. But work. breaches come up at the end, and you just don't know. So. I told them that I was going on vacation and we were hoping that they would make it to 39 plus weeks and therefore I'd be back from vacation and on the freeway home from the airport (laughs) and get two calls instead of one. But that didn't happen. Unfortunately, the first or second night I was in Minneapolis, she broke her bag of waters while she's in Thousand Oaks. And the plan was if she went into labor or anything happened while I was gone, that she was going to get in her car and drive back down to San Diego to have a C-section down in San Diego, which she ended up doing. And the baby came out fine, and everything was fine. Good. And, and they're healthy. They're home. I've had a couple conversations with them. They're lovely, and she's just a lovely woman, and they're very happy with their experience. They're happy they had the chance to even consider it. I am sad, and I am angry, however, because I live in a town of 4 million people, 10 million people, with the account the whole metropolitan area. There's over, over 100 hospitals mm-hmm. in Southern California that do obstetrics, and there wasn't one physician other than one guy in glendale dr dennis Wu, who was a great ma- great man but he was not it w- it would not have worked for this couple uh there was not one physician that i could have or i could call who would be willing to support this woman in her you have choice zero referrals there was nothing so she ended up because i was out of town she ended up having to have a c-section do you mean there was no one to go and administer the home birth Is no she would have there was nobody okay. who will do breach in a right. hospital right in Los Angeles on purpose. 
There's occasionally if someone shows up breach at the very end, they'll they'll deliver them. But no one is going to do a plan to breach delivery, despite all the evidence that supports that selected breach delivery is safer for the mother and is safe for the baby uh, than cesarean section. And the, and the evidence is pretty much conclusive and overwhelming. There was a bad study that came out 10 years ago that got everybody all riled up. We called it an in, I call it an inconvenient untruth. Uh -huh. or, excuse me, a convenient untruth. Uh -huh. And so this poor woman had no place to go. And I was on vacation and I sort of, I didn't feel terribly guilty because I had this planned ahead of time. But it was, it was really sad for me that there was yeah. nobody, that nobody that she could go to in all of Los Angeles who'd be willing to take over and do a breach delivery, not at home, but even in the hospital. Yeah, as you said before, there's only one other doctor in the entire LA besides you that even does this kind of stuff, That's Dr. right, Wu. that will do a planned breach delivery. There's only the two of us, me at home, Dr. Wu in that the hospital. That doesn't seem right at all because uh, what are we gonna do in 30 years when you guys uh, retire? Well, and Dr. Stu, when you bring <laughs> this passion, when you bring this uh, sadness that you felt and this anger that you felt about uh, the fact that there was nowhere in Los Angeles uh, for this client. Or San Diego, obviously, because they came all the way up from San Diego. Right, for her to go. When you bring this argument to to the medical community, to your colleagues in medicine, are, you, do, are there sympathetic ears? Are there people saying, you know what, Dr. Stu, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is comedy, okay? No, this is good. Really, this is really good. Are there other folks in the medical community who are saying, you know what, you're on to something? Uh, we, we we do live in, I think, the greatest city in the world. Uh, there, there there seems to be uh, this option is no. They, they don't they don't say they're right. They would say that I am Doctor Wu are crazy. That's yeah. what they, they would they say. They like that the C-section. No, really, they would say. Yeah, that. you get back to the it gets back to the triple E thing, and you can add in you can add in medical legal comp, you know, expediency, economics. What was the other E? I forgot what it was. Uh, expedience, economics, and ego. And ego. Well, a lot of ego. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, they there's they there's no reason for them to want to do this because the time commitment is longer, the pay isn't any better, the liability is probably a little bit greater, or at least they so they think. A C-section is easy to schedule. You can be there at 7.30, you can be out at 8.45, and be back in your office at 9. There's And, and they're not teaching it. I mean, it's not the fault of the younger doctors in the community because they were never taught that. I blame the academicians, the people that run the, the residency programs, because my profession, and we've talked about this before as well, my profession, is such that what makes an obstetrician unique is that they have unique skills, that they're not just a surgeon, and they're not just a pap smear performer, but there's something in between. And one of those things that's in between is the skill of doing a breech delivery, or doing vaginal twin deliveries, or doing a forceps uh, delivery, and they're not teaching these things anymore, and they're doing C-sections, and C-section is only going to lead to more C-sections, and we're gonna end up with more complications because people are always worried about you know, placental problems with pre with repeat C-sections or ruptured uteruses with repeat C-sections. And so the best way to avoid all this is to avoid the first C-section. And we're talking about three to 4% of babies are breech at term. So we can lower the C-section rate by about 70% of three to four, which would be about 3%, mm -hmm. because about 70 to 80% of people who have a breech birth who qualify will deliver, be successful vaginally. And the other ones won't be emergency c-sections for a stuck head or anything like that they'll just be they'll fail for the usual reasons that labor fails i love the passion of dr Stu. if you love dr Stu's podcast and you love dr Stu, share this podcast with your friends post it on your facebook page tweet it out keep coming to dr Stu's podcast.com go to itunes subscribe to the feed on itunes give dr Stu five stars 
write a nice review, and you get the every brand new show every time it happens if you subscribe to the feed on iTunes. But check the website every week because there's new photos, new blogs, and of course, new shows. Yeah, links to blogs and a lot of conversation about. Yeah, I wrote about I wrote about this one on my blog at uh, supportdrfishbine.blogspot.com. And I want to thank you guys because this again, this is my therapy session, and when I get to talk about this stuff, How I feel, ho- you feel very much. I feel very cathartic. I feel like I'm just, uh, you know, what that means. I hope you know yes. what that means, Doctor Stu. How are you? Thanks for joining us here on Doctor Stu's podcast for Doctor Stuart Fishbein. I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us and Randy. 